Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program that covered the entirety of Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, it's been eight years and two months since Republic City saw the last of Oman and his equalist rebellion. The first book of Legend of Korra is stream-bending its way back onto our airwaves. It's time to look back at the introduction of our modern avatar with your hosts, fresh off a long vacation in the spirit world, Matt, Dave, Devendra, and Joanne. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Republic City Dispatch. Uh, You know, we've been technically a podcast still, even on this uh, downtime. Nothing has changed. Um, We're back. Just another episode. Uh, Why not? It turns out The Legend of Korra is still relevant. Not only still relevant... It's on Netflix, baby! It's the biggest streaming platform in the world. It's gone mainstream. Everyone loves Korra now. Talking about Korra. Um, and who, who is talking about Korra? Let's introduce ourselves. I'm Matt Patches. I'm an editor at Polygon now. <laughs> I guess I think a few things have changed since we uh, stopped talking. I don't think that and, existed when, you, uh, when we last reported. Did it? I don't even remember. No, it was 2012. It definitely, no, yeah, it, 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 it was around yeah. for the ending of Korra, because yes. there's some good stories on the ending of Korra. It was not around for the beginning of Korra. <laughs> yeah. My, a lot happens in like seven, eight years. Um, so I work at Polygon now, and who was just talking? It was Devendra Hardwar. Hey, what's up? I'm back. I'm now senior editor at Engadget. I was elsewhere back then when we were recording, but uh, yeah, it's fun. It's great to see you guys again. It is, and yeah, because they invented Zoom since we last did this, so we can now <laughs> Video look chats at just didn't exist talking. back then, apparently, so. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, a, it's a movers. These are movers calls, I believe, would be the correct uh, <laughs> Quora-related terminology for this call. Uh, and we have Dave Gonzalez. Hi. Hey, I'm Dave Gonzalez. When I was on this podcast the first time, I was a co-host with Matt Patches on something called the Operation Kino podcast. <laughs> Same podcast is now called Fighting in the War Room. <laughs> <laughs> Still going. Uh, also, Joanna and I spun off to do uh, something called the Storm of Lost Rewatch podcast. And so now we've been rewatching Lost. Uh, before that, we were rewatching Game of Thrones. But this whole idea of like uh, deep watching a show really, really stuck around for me and Joanna Robinson. Hey, good segue. It is Joanna Robinson. Oh, She's here. Hi. Yeah, I can't. Rem- I. Yeah, I was probably writing for Vanity Fair. <laughs> oh, I was just at the. You were by final the end season. of Cora. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Final season. Yeah, I was at Vanity Fair. I'm still at Vanity Fair. Uh, I still do podcasts, and I'm here, and I'm so excited to talk about Cora for the first time with you guys in a long time. This is the first time we have spoken about Cora in a long we've, time. Are we going to acknowledge? Yeah, we've never brought it up. We've never talked happened? about it. <laughs> And we've never had side conversations where people have been tweeting at our handle, RC Dispatch, <laughs> and being like, when are you going to do the Avatar <laughs> series episode by episode? And we thought, oh, I don't mm. pay us enough for that. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm so sorry. Maybe, maybe a good <laughs> Patreon set up for that, but yeah. But there's, yeah, there's a few good reasons to come back to the podcast. One, as mentioned, uh, the entire Ledge of Korra is now on Netflix. We've heard the call, too. Hooray! Joanna Robinson was not actually on the podcast yet when we did season one ah. of Cora, so uh, it's important that Joanna get her say uh, on pro bending, <laughs> which she needs to talk about. Um, uh, everyone's really excited for my pro bending take. She's a fire ferret at heart. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons to come back. I think the third reason is 
thinking about this show um, and how much has really changed since we first covered it. Imagining, you know, people have been tweeting us in the lead up after the uh, news broke that the show was going to be on Netflix. Just to be clear, it's also always been, it's been at least for like a few months on CBS All Access. Yes, which is where I have been watching it before Netflix. No one tweeted it at us when it joined CBS All Access. That's Sadly, no. Viacom. The Star Trek service? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, which is why there's no Star Trek oh, show no, on. Oh, called? wait, there is now. The I Good Fight? I yeah. again. Um, it's the like, Good Fight service. I was like, I was like, Whoops. it's not The Good Wife. What is it? The Good Life? It's, well, it is it. The Good Fight and The Good Wife. Yeah. So you got to watch fight. both, kids. Oh, they're so yeah. And Evil. If you haven't Andrew, caught Evil, that's our, on CBS. Oh my God, Joanna, are you talking about doing a full Good Wife rewatch podcast? Because that would last us a decade. Oh my God, Amazing. I would do that. Complete judgment. Yes, yes. Oh my Ooh. God. Wow, 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 wow. Sign me up. I love that show. Excellent. Sorry, Dave. Well, if you need something to watch after The Legend of Korra, go no watch need, The no, Good Fight. No need to apologize. Patches is funding that. The Good <laughs> Podcast. Yes, it's Hook one it Patreon. The good, patron the good, funding the entire thing. The good podcast is what we'll call it. Um, why was I, I got myself off track talking about CBS All Access. Okay, it's all on Netflix. And, you know, we did this podcast seven or eight years ago. And I can only imagine what the four of us were saying seven or eight years ago. The let world me, has let changed. Me, why don't you throw to me for this pitch since I've been listening to some of our book one episodes. Okay, Dave, oh, what the hell are we talking about? I, I'm ready to cringe, ago. by the way. Oh. I am. Yeah, oh, okay. man. Guys, The Legend of Korra is now on Netflix. If it's your first time watching it, I have a great partnership podcast to you. <laughs> You're listening to it right now in hey. our old feed. Is all our 51 total episodes that go along with the first four books of Legend of Korra. Uh, they went along with how they aired, so some podcasts will cover multiple episodes. Because Nickelodeon started dumping the podcast or the sorry not the pod well the podcast is always online but started dumping the show online <laughs> in later seasons uh i think it's a great way to watch along with the series for all ages because we didn't know it was going to happen and that shows a lot in our predictions we were also involved in uh tumblr which was big at the time <laughs> so it involves a lot of fan predictions as was the custom at the time we had a tumblr we had a tumblr and we're onions so, in our belts, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to come back with a few new episodes uh, discussing the previous books and some extra bonus content for this uh, Republic City Dispatch sort of revival. But most importantly, all the episodes are still there, and Core is all on Netflix. We got one review a while back on our Lost Rewatch podcast that their only complaint was that they couldn't binge ahead of us because we were only doing one episode a week you do not have that problem with legend of Korra. podcast content exists for all four books right now uh this would probably not be your first episode we but did the this work is, this is a weird thing by the way because we, we basically come full circle in like a pop culture move right it aired and now it's basically reruns and you can go back and listen to our original thoughts as it's being rerun on netflix it's weird live long yes. enough to see your takes become Old take. Yeah. It's, it's like yeah. we did a. Uh, it's like we did a bewitched podcast, <laughs> and now Nick at Night is bringing it back. And all we did all the episodes. Oh my god! Um, don't joke about that. Yeah, Cora is a little better than Bewitched. No offense. <laughs> I, I actually Bewitched was better than I Dream. Who's of taking? I don't want to get off too. Where's Where's the Venn diagram <laughs> content where the Bewitched diehards and the Cora people have met? Tell us, fans. Um, well, let, let's dive in here. So basically, the approach we wanted to take is: it's been so long. We're rewatching this with 
either new people who are showing up to Netflix who just watched Last Airbender, which premiered on Netflix in May, and now they're going to discover this whole new thing, which is radically different than the tone of Airbender. Um, and we're gonna we want to want it to be there for them too. Yeah, this shouldn't be your first episode. You can go back to the old episodes of Republic City Dispatch, but I think it's also we should take the totality of the show, the legacy of the show, and, and especially the real world lens that we can now apply to this show. How prescient was it? What did what did it get into? And and we can talk about it again in a whole new way. So that's the intention of this season one look. We're talking about the entire season one. We are not talking about season two, three, and four. Maybe we'll talk about those later. We'll get. We'll maybe, let's stay stick around for the end of the episode. It's spoiler um, free for future seasons. So, exactly. We're yeah. not talking about what Cora does. We're talking about what Cora does in season one only. Um, so Dave. What happened in season one of The Legend of Korra? Well, we meet the new Avatar Korra in the Southern Water Tribe. She's an angsty teenager, and she needs to learn airbending from Tenzin, Aang's son, and patriarch of the last airbender family. Korra moves to Republic City and joins bending brothers Mako, a firebender, and Bolin, an earthbender, to make the fire ferrets a pro-bending team that go all the way to the championship with a donation from Sato Industries. Mako and Asami Sato, daughter of the owner of Sato Industries, are in a relationship even though he kisses Korra, and the pro-bending championship is interrupted by Amon, an apparent non-bender who is raising a revolution of non-benders called the Equalists and has the power to permanently take a person's bending away. The Council of Republic City includes a representative from the Northern Water Tribe named Tarlock, who is very tricky and tries to use Amon's revolution to persecute non-benders. After some illegal arrests, fart bending, Asami and Mako breaking up, and Lin Beifong being awesome, Korra is kidnapped by Tarlock, and she reconnects to the spirit of Aang to learn about the blunt-bending gangster Yakone. Amon takes Tarlock's bending and assaults Republic City with airships, destroying the first wave of General Iroh-led's... General Iroh's led United Forces. Korra and Mako find Tarlock, who tells them the story of Bad Dad Yakone, who raised Tarlock and Amon, who was called Unalak back then. Korra confronts Amon with this news, but he fakes out the Equalist with face burn makeup and takes Korra's bending. Mako is able to fight off Amon long enough for Korra to unlock her airbending and expose Amon, who gets away only to be blown up by his brother on an escape speedboat. Korra gets super depressed and at her lowest moment unlocks her spiritual side in the Avatar state to restore her bending and Lin Beifong's earth and metal bending. Ah. And that's how it goes. That's I don't, whole, I don't think so. Halo in there. Yeah, that's how it. That's exactly how it goes. Um, well, let, let's start with this, Joanna. You were not with us for the first season of Legend of Korra, so but you did watch it and you rewatched it recently. What what strikes you about this season that maybe didn't way back when, or what what stands out in having known where Korra goes? We're not going to spoil anything, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm curious what you, how it sat with you. Yeah, so my understanding is that when Brian and Mike, uh, the creators of um, Avatar The Last Airbender, were commissioned to do this from Netflix, they, their understanding was that they were, it was going to be like a one-off, one-season sort of thing. Yeah, like a mini-series. Right, and so mm-hmm. like they created this contained uh, journey. And it is very contained uh, in a number of ways. You know, like at the whole point of Airbender, Avatar The Last Airbender, is that they're like bouncing around... Um, this whole world, and and um, I think I'm st- I'm I think I'm cribbing this idea from Dave, but like the, you know the you really feel this is a contained story, and that it takes it's centered in Republic City. We're not bouncing all around. We're like we're anchored in one place, and um, it's great fan fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and like a, a part of the structure of the season is um, this pro bending 
tournament arc. And that it all just feels very season one to me, like the way in which a lot of shows are just figuring out what they do well and what they don't. Right, right, know? right. Like, it's very Angel to Buffy. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Like Angel, yeah. oh, it's got to be a detective series. Then it's like, no. <laughs> or even like. Got to get the crew. Right. You got to have your weekly adventures. Yeah. Right. Or even like Buffy. I was thinking Buffy season one because I always think mm-hmm. about Buffy. Like that Buffy, like, you know, felt like it really had to be a high school story until it didn't. You know what I mean? Or Alias. There's just like a number of things or Felicity. Or, I'm, I'm watching a lot of J.J. Abrams right now. But there's like, there's, <laughs> there's just like a lot of stuff where like, you, you know, or Lost. Like th- that you feel like you need to do this like one kind of constricted storytelling. And, and because we have the advantage of having scenes book two three and four we know how expansive this world can get so it all just feels a little like small even though Amon is a a big great villain I think but it still feels like oh they haven't figured out how to break this story wide open yet maybe because they thought okay we're gonna do one season we're gonna make it like put it in this box so that was sort of my feeling watching this Does that, season. Is that like a ne- in a negative way for you? No. Or it just is that? I think, think any time you rewatch a show you love, when you get to season one, you're sort of like, ah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they hadn't and then the, it, these things out yet, you know? It's not like a season one that I would completely ignore, like Parks and Rec, you no, know, or The yeah. Office or something. Right. Or even no. like Buffy season one, there are a lot of episodes I don't really care for, but there are key episodes you still have to watch. Right. Whereas... Um, even a show like Angel like completely rebooted itself. And I bring up Angel because it was the continuation of Buffydom. Like it kind of expanded that universe in a way and brought in new ideas and concepts. And that's kind of why, yeah, I'm making that comparison. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad we can talk about this, Joanna, because I've wanted to do this for years. Well, and it's attachment to the you know because you have. I mean, this won't be the last we'll see of those uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender characters spoiler i guess for future mm. core seasons but like it feels connected to hey remember toff hey remember osaka's here like <laughs> you know ang's here all that sort of stuff it feels connected in a way that angel did that with buffy too and then later it's just sort of like we don't need to have oz come mm-hmm. over for a crossover episode or <laughs> oh man here, yeah. you know so yeah but it doesn't it doesn't front load that what I think is interesting and it really watching it the second time watching mm-hmm. it now knowing where it all goes um, I was still kind of sucked in I was dazzled then and, and now by the the art direction and the kind of idea that it, we're just going to totally radically depart from what we know from right, Avatar. Right, there's right. no hand holding um, we're, we're just thrown straight into the politics of Republic City there's pro bending now mm-hmm. it's been totally uh, you know the spirituality is out the window this is a world that has changed and it's still really kind of bowled me over watching it I love yeah. this first season and I, I've definitely seen a lot of people on Twitter and such after streaming it uh, on Netflix this past weekend being like yeah season one <laughs> it's kind of disposable I'm like what no, this is the season all. for me yeah, this yeah. Is, this is where it feels like, again, Brian and Mike being asked by Nick to do more Avatar and being like, you know what? What if we don't do any more Avatar and do something completely different, but it will still have the traces there so that we, we fulfill that or check that box for the network. And um, I, I, I can't believe how it, it really just jumps into the deep end of the pool with mm-hmm. the, the storytelling and the world building. Yeah. I mean, no even the the first there. introduction, right? Like as soon the opening introduction is Tenzin saying, hey, you know, uh, saying the Avatar is and saying, my father, Aang. And like, I remember being bowled over a little that they were just saying, oh, Aang is dead. Aang is not in this world. And then it's really building on his legacy and so many things. But they didn't even, in the first episode, didn't shy away from 
doing the big dramatic things because we didn't know that going into this season yeah. or this first episode. Right. Yeah, we just saw some trailers. There's a lot we really didn't know. So discovering it alongside the first episode and the first few episodes, it's all discovery. You know, it's like the how does Republic City work? How does uh, sports bending, you know, how does bending sports work? Uh, people are using electricity bending for power. It's uh, it's kind of wild, and it really builds on, like, the ideas, the simple ideas from the original series of, like, hey, metal bending. That was a big innovation in, you know, the last Airbender, and now it's like, oh, yeah, everybody metal bends, and also lightning bends, and also more blood bending, and also taking away powers. Like, it's really building on everything we right. saw we've, from last we've Airbender. We've built institutions on top yeah. of it, not only, yeah. that, that are kind of scary. Something, um, I don't know if we see this in the first episode. I think we do by the time we go to Republic City Disp or Republic City Disp <laughs> that's the name of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, by the time we go to Republic City, I think the first thing we really see there and the first time we're reintroduced to Aang in this new series is Aang's the Statue of Liberty now. Like, yep. <laughs> Aang is a giant monument. And uh, talk about the, the 2020 lens. Uh, I get, Guys, I've, I gotta be honest. I'm in favor of no monuments anymore. Yeah. Monuments, bad. Yeah. Monuments. Monuments um, of people. I'm, I'm, Didn't we, we decided on the Storm Podcast you can have monuments of animals. But sure. Oh, yeah, we have Balto in yeah. Central Park. Great. Um, I'm all <laughs> about the Balto statue. can't really be problematic, uh, you know, decades from now. No, they just eat and shit. Right. Um, oh, but, but, um, on the uh, old version of this podcast, I would have said poop. So. Yes. But, like, yeah. We are no longer constrained by Nickelodeon. There, was, yeah. there would Correct. definitely be someone who would be like, can we take down that statue of Kyoshi? She straight up murdered a dude that one time. You know what I mean? Like, um, but, but, I mean, I, I, I was struck by that with yeah. seeing Aang, like, in giant bronze. It's like... That's a political statement right out mm -hmm. the gate about this show. This is like Aang's legacy has been fortified into uh, an icon. It, it means something politically now that it wasn't, not that it's been necessarily been like bastardized or something, but maybe, and it's scary. The, the thing that um, is also different in my rewatch now is that um, when you guys asked me to like hop on for season two, Korra, I like hastily watched season one, but I hadn't seen Avatar The Last Airbender and I didn't watch it all the way through. And you guys are like, Joanna, watch it. I'm like, meh. And then you're like, you're like, oh, Iroh's here. And I'm like, oh, sorry, spoiler. I guess that I'm like, I don't care. I don't know that dude. Um, anyway, um, and then I watched it after we were, we did all of Republic City Dispatch. Um, and then this time, obviously, I'm like fresh off an Avatar rewatch. Um, and I can understand, like, I love Cora for what she, what she is, what the show is. I can understand how the expectation misalignment happened of, of mm -hmm. ki especially young fans coming off of Avatar The Last Airbender, hopping into Cora and being like, what is this? This isn't what I signed up for. And like, it, you know, is some of the, um... Negativity around Korra, misogyny, I'm sure it is. But I, I really think it's more that misalignment of expectation more than anything else. That would be mm -hmm. my guess, my take on it. And we, we really didn't know what to expect. I remember ahead of this premiering, like we got a trailer, I think, which was didn't have much dialogue. It just gave us like imagery, like Korra on a polar bear dog and like who Korra is. You know, this is a slightly more mature, maybe more impulsive avatar than Aang was. And we got some like stills of Republic City, but I didn't know that there would be sports. You know, we, we didn't know like <laughs> the political intrigue would be a thing. There's a lot we really didn't know. Yeah, David, sort of how the, about, switch, yeah. the switch to modular storytelling instead yeah. of like more episodic storytelling. So 
we start off with like a problem that might uh, be solved like two or three episodes from now or apparently be solved or definitely, as in the case of the book one, is displaced by another problem until all <laughs> the problems gel together into one gigantic problem. Uh, but I kind of like that and I kind of like book one uh, for its complete feeling. Uh, the other ones, I think season two, they also thought might be the last season of Korra. Uh, <clears throat> but book books uh, two, three, and four definitely feel like they could be pushing into an obvious like next direction uh, for the Avatar universe. Uh, Air sort of exists with Korra um, finding that she can't like punch every problem <laughs> in this submission, ultimately. And uh, the, whole I don't know. the whole show is ultimately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, I don't know how well the final chapters do in uh, sort of saying directly that her unlocking her spiritual side is what allows her to sort of go into the Avatar state. But the background storytelling throughout of Republic City as an industrial city that has sort of lost its connection to the spiritual side of bending. I think really shows um, a lot of the problems that causes and sort of this idea that once you give up the idea of spirits and gods and the old way of things, when you're creating the new way of things, how do those systems inherently um, allow for uh, corruption or uh, almost like unification of power behind one person when that seems to be the opposite thing. And like, it's always interesting to me that we see... Are you talking about Korra or America in the year 2020? <laughs> I'm trying to lead into, into that for you, for you, Matt. But it's also get, interesting to me that me like the, the Council of Republic City, we have to uh, assume by how they're dressed what each one represents. And there's one that represents all four kingdoms. And then there's somebody that represents... Republic City itself is like a hybrid kingdom. But as of that, like Tarlock speaks and Tenzin speaks. The other three just basically raise their hands. Uh, so it's a real interesting, I think, discussion. Like also Devinder was talking about how like metal bending's been elevated, but also they've all become the police. Mm -hmm. And also those police um, are not necessarily corrupt, but are easily directed to be corruptible uh, through government. Right, so right. it's it, it's very interesting to see uh, the this conversation that's had at the beginning, where Korra runs into a city that's not spiritual. It's basically an echo of her actual problem. She gets interested in bending, just as this like anti-bending revolutions rising up. But then halfway through the series, we sort of cut out and we're like, well, let's look at what happens when you let like you know a system of like electoral governments take over and we get the task force and Tarlock takes too much, uh, you know, power. And it isn't to, until then we sort of loop back and learn that the whole uh, practical argument that really sounds like a great argument from a viewer standpoint, which is like, <laughs> shouldn't there be equality between vendors and non-vendors in a city that depends on bending for everything uh, really just ends up being uh, argument that uh, the two villains use to play Korra off of herself for enough episodes to pull off their plans. Mm -hmm. What I think is two political voices using the youth, playing the youth, uh, and their rash decision making. Who, who would have thought? Um, one thing that I think is interesting to consider about 
Um, you know, I said earlier that, like, you know, Korra is its own thing, sort of divorced from Avatar, but it also is, you know, Aang is here in statue, but this is also Aang's, the Republic City is Aang's social experiment, right? Like, this is the city that Aang built. And, like, not only that, but the, um, the big villain and power villainous power play of taking bending like that's a consequence of something ang did ang did mm-hmm. that and it comes home to roost not necessarily for ang himself though a little bit like in flashback but for his next uh incarnation has to grapple with this thing that he did and what i thought i was watching um please don't judge me a tiktok about this this morning actually about this woman <laughs> talking about we would never judge you we would say more of this so the people think we are the the cool kids the young she was talking about this idea that like you know cora gets knocked by the fandom sometimes for being so rash and impulsive when uh and, and quote-unquote violent when ang was so like peaceful and maybe uh, measured to a fault, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, and he was a kid. It's a big difference, it's, yeah. Well, that difference, but also she was like, okay, but it's not like as if Aang's nonviolent solution has no consequences, because here are the yes, consequences right. yes. of his nonviolent solution, and this woman has to deal with it. And so, you know, like, you can't just say, like, Aang was a perfect little cherubic monk boy <laughs> who, like, never did no wrong. Like, uh, you know, he, he, Aang is great, I'm not here to knock him, but, like, this is the fallout of his decision to to level up in this way yeah. you know and and the comics get into the hardships of that they certainly get into the hardships and i think the first season begins to confront this which is like leading is really hard like being a hero is is great but leading as a hero is really challenging and, and mm-hmm. establishing government like how do you how do you make everyone happy it's impossible <laughs> um and i think the entire series of core deals with that in this first season kind of starts dipping a toe into it, like, yeah, Amon's equalist message makes a lot of sense. And as we see, the benders, or the benders do persecute um, non-benders in, in many ways. And they are being, there's a class issue in Republic City when we enter there. Um, Wait, can I really just and, and, really quickly say, yeah. um, you said leading. Uh, I want to drop a Hamilton reference because now Matt Patch is yielding <laughs> a Hamilton reference. Please, yeah. yes. I was actually just thinking of Hamilton as I was saying it. Right. So, and I hadn't seen Hamilton. Right. I don't think Hamilton existed yet when no, we did the podcast. No, but like I also yeah. only watched it like a month ago right. for the first time. So. Uh, if you if you did not know, Matt Patches obstinately <laughs> refused to see Hamilton or listen to it for some no, unknown reason. Um, really? Oh, I had to man. see it. I wanted it the pure experience of watching it. But you it. lived in New York, so you could have gone to see it anyway. This um, is true. This is true. Uh, after the war, I went exactly. back to Republic City. Exactly. So anyway, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's George Washington, right, of course, says winning is easy, young man, leading is hard, mm-hmm. right? So like, yeah, Aang won, now you got to lead. What are you going to do? Or um, to use another reference, uh, this is something that George R. R. Martin would talk about all the time in terms of like Game of Thrones versus Lord of the Rings. He's like, okay, Aragorn wins the day at the end of Return of the King. Then what? Uh, George R. R. Martin has right, this great right. quote where he talks about like Aragorn going to murder all the little orc babies in their orc beds, or what is the tax <laughs> policy of like Aragorn's new kingdom? And like that's sort of what this is. It's like the Aragorn ta- like Aang's tax policy. Like what is <laughs> what happens when you win? What do you do? What is the society you create? Right. Which to me is more interesting than like the prequel tendency we tend to see today, where it's like, how did this one thing? You know, when did Aang meet Appa? 
you know, what was Appa like as a baby? Like the, to me, that whole, that whole prequel narrative of just like fleshing out stuff you already know is so boring. Whereas this is like continuing the ideas of what the previous series built up. So and yeah. Yet, and, yeah. And yet, spoiler alert, we will get a prequel. Yes, we will. Show. But and it's good. Done great. The best prequel, <laughs> perhaps the best prequel great. story yes. we've ever seen. So. Um, but yeah, the idea that this series builds on everything. So Aang taking away powers, but also the idea of uh, conflicting forces trying to live together in a single society. How do you build a society? Because they were basically coming from a feudal you know, system. Like this all changed very, very quickly. It's a fundamental reshaping of society. There's so much to dive into here and also the new types of bending and what it means for people and what it means for our connection to spirituality. Uh, certainly one thing we wanted to talk about is how the cops are all metal benders. And what does yeah. that mean? And hey, Toph, Toph was one of my favorite, Toph was my favorite character from Last Airbender and seeing her daughter now leading the police. First of all, Lin Bei Fong kicks ass. She is fantastic, but also now we are also finally as a society like reconciling what police are and how they work in America and what they stand for. And I think we even get a glimpse of that in the series of like later on when, um, who is it? Tarlock basically is able to, uh, what is the term we like to use? Oh, the tea kettle. They tea kettle the humans and put them under Sturbing. curfews and like sent people to jail. And they, they did so many things because, just because they weren't benders. So I do like that this series can be more mature in many ways than Last Airbender was. I love that show, but I love that yeah. this one can kind of wrestle with bigger ideas as well. Yeah, and, and, and it's, you know, I'm most interested in the reactions to the show from people who've never watched it before and they'll discover mm -hmm. it on Netflix and bringing all of the politics and all of the conversations we're having around cops and authority right now. It, it must be fascinating because I do think... You know, you talk about Toph created the police. That could really mm -hmm. piss people off, I guess, um, to see that that happened. But she also did so well-intentioned. And she did so before the police, the idea of police in this right. city was corrupted, right? On some level, Toph is genuine and wants to establish a police force that, that works. And I think that's a conversation we're having in America, This too. is all like, about best laid do plans. You, do you not yeah. need police or do you need police that function? And, yeah. Or can can police function? Can they can they ever work? Um, and I think the, the series in unintentionally brings all of that baggage to the table when mm -hmm. uh, for the with the first introduction of this police. Now, Dave, yeah. uh, Dave's scratching his beard, so I'm ready for him to jump in and tell me if, <laughs> if there is a good version of the metal-bending police force that can exist in Republic City, or if the mere creation of it is bad. Oh, <laughs> man, that seems real tough. All metal this is like the philosophy... Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. here's the thing, too. Like, when we see the cops in a lot of these uh, scenes, too, like, they have, they have their hands up. They have their hands up ready to, like, metal-bend everybody around them, and all I see are cops going in like guns, you know, guns up, like with their guns out and ready to take out people. And it is that comparison that I think. But there's is also a up. crime wave in Republic there. There is City, a crime right? wave, like, yes, for sure. But also, they're living maybe, in the gangster era of Chicago yeah. in the early 20th century. What maybe you, the security the force should be more than just one type of bender, and certainly not just benders. Like, let's get some humans in there who other humans alike. may actually trust. Non-benders <laughs> alike, <laughs> but also benders uh -huh. of every kind, like. The, there are so many ways to make it more equal and not so that you're just persecuting the humans who have no power. They don't have magical powers. I feel for them. 
I mean, yeah, step step number one with metal bending police force, I think, would be expand police force. Uh, just in general, I feel like even if you were to like try to make a fighting force, you want like a mixed fighting force in this world. Uh, so non-benders, different types of benders, that would be good. Um, the nice thing about Lynn in this book, and maybe we'll learn more about Toph, <laughs> is that um, they abandon the idea of being part of the police force the second that is the <laughs> right thing to do. Uh, they're like, oh, wait, the like police aren't going to help me? Well, then I'm going off and I'm doing it myself then. I'm taking off the badge and I'm going to go in and I'm going to save my men who I've worked with and then save Korra and then save the airbenders. But all of that <clears throat> is outside of police duties. And right, Lynn right, knows right. It. And so she's just like, I'm going to go and be my badass self. It's, it's funny. Season, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, go. Lynn does the, you know, rogue cop thing of like dropping the badge and your gun and everything and like just going out and doing it on her own. She is the chief. She is just the one dropping it on her own desk and being like, okay, I've had a major revelation here, but go ahead. Yeah. Lynn. All I was going to say is I think the show is bold enough to also uh, knock vigilante justice. I mean, early sure. on, we Everybody's see Everybody's Batman taking, in the series. Yeah. yeah. Korra's taking down some triads, I think, and bashes them in through a window and, like, destroys a shop. Well, uh, and then the cops have to come and scold her for doing that. Uh, and and I, I don't think we're supposed to think that's impressive or heroic on her part. No. It's actually I, an o- a step over the line when she does that. I think the, the struggle, of the balance of the series is saying, like, hey, we need people who can do things, but also not be, I don't know, it's a, it's a, we have to find the union between people who actually want to help make society better and also the police force and the government and everything too. Uh, by the way, the Batman thing certainly struck me a lot more. We mentioned this in our first series, but you know, Asami is straight up Batman. Like she has the Batman past. She has, uh, yeah, parents who died. She is very rich. She has all these toys. She has no powers next to her superpowered friends. Where does she get those toys? <laughs> she doesn't have any powers of her own. Uh, so like Batman alongside Superman, like she has to ha- deal with her tools and her money and her influence. So I do, I do like the one episode where she pulls up in a car and they basically get a Batmobile and it looks like a Batmobile. It looks oh, like yeah. what the Batmobile would look like in you know the animated series. Maybe a different version of that or something. Asami, um, yeah, it's basically like Sokka had a boomerang, <laughs> and Asami's like, <laughs> I've got everything though. I have a lifelong <laughs> training of martial arts yeah. and all the money in the world. She just like so she she's awesome. That. She's like, oh, by the way, I've been training martial arts my entire life. It's fine. Um, it's fine. It's cool. We, so bringing up Asami means I think we should probably talk about the love triangle stuff uh, in Ugh. book one. Yeah, and how we feel about it. It's a choice. It's a. It's an. You know, <laughs> this is like it's a teen show, right? Uh, it is. I think that's important. I mean, we haven't gotten too much into the Korra as a character and how she's introduced, but and maybe we should take a step back and, and talk about Korra and like how this show sets that tone. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this is. All the teen angst, all the teen emotions, all of the yeah. hormones yeah. are flying. In it's very one. YA at times, yeah. There are things we like <laughs> and things we don't like, right? Like, we like yep. that um, Asami and Korra are never, like, really pitted against each other, right? That Asami says, like, when she finds out something's going on, she's like, I like Korra, first of all. <laughs> Mako, you're a jerk. Um, <laughs> you know, so, like, that... But it, it does feel, once again, it feels very season one. And what, <laughs> what else feels season one about it all to me is like, uh, I, ho- I don't think this is a spoiler, but I'll, I'll just say this. When I think about the character of Mako, I can remember exactly one thing 
involving Mako that happens in book two, three, four. Like exactly right, right. one wow. thing. Wow. Right. I can think of like 20 things that happen to Bolin. And it's because sure. I just think the show found that Bolin is a much more interesting character than Mako <laughs> is. And like season one, it's sort of like an even split or like Mako's the heartthrob or whatever. And then it's- Mako's so like boring in the season, but also like very much, very much Zuko without a lot of the angst. Like he is Zuko hmm. 2.0. Like like a lesser pretty boy version without like the scar and so much of the drama. Porridge. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so they this happens all the time with shows where they like figure out who's actually more interesting, and they're Mm -hmm. like it's Bolin. Bolin's way more interesting than Mako, and so like we're gonna right like if you just like close your eyes, you're like Bolin's gonna go on so many (laughs) adventures, and Mako does. Because okay. Mako's a stereotypical pretty boy, you know, heartthrob in a way. Like in every anime series, like he is the one the heroine would lust after. And that's kind of what annoyed me on the rewatch here is just seeing how kind of basic the love triangle was at first. But it leads to some great things. I do like the episode where uh, Bolin catches, you know, her kissing Mako and just his expression with Pabu. It's worth it for that alone. He's wilting flowers. Wilting flowers. Well, her I just yeah. Like and just yeah. And that and then that being made whole like so quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. When it could have gone into like a much more toxic place. I talk about this all the time. We are. Uh, Devinder raised uh, the Buffy verse, so I don't feel bad about going back to it. Yes, like, do it. The um, the archetypes of both Sokka and Bolin. I kind of see them on in like a trajectory, those two characters. And they are the Xander Harris like archetype from Buffy, but like Xander Harris is a toxic problem. And yeah. this is like that archetype done so well. You love Sokka, you love Bolin. And so it just like, um, it makes me happy to see that archetype figured out. Um, so. Just so you know, um, there's a current run of Buffy comics happening right now where Xander is a vampire and he's the bad the bad guy of the uh, of the season. I think they're trying they're trying know, to deal they're trying to just, deal with his toxicity. We just don't pay directly. attention to the Buffy comics anymore. But I, no, it's supposed to be good. We're good. The first I forget seasons because they had season names, season but the first couple eight. bench, yeah. Those were good, no, and they, then I kind of lost well, touch. Yeah, well, they rebooted it into high school. Okay, like back to high school. Yes. Okay, so. this is a new. This is a new thing. And like Gun, uh, Xander, like, bad now. No, um, like Principal Wood goes to high school with them, right, or something like that. <laughs> it's like complicated. <laughs> anyway, um, uh huh. Yeah, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about chorus. <laughs> <laughs> Mako is so boring. We had to talk about Corey. Every every or we had to talk about Buffy. We'll have to go back to Buffy. Everything <laughs> leads back I, to no Buffy. Buffy Come on. I mean, it just yeah. Is, you know, like, yeah. I, I here's the thing I like about Mako in season one and and throughout the series that he thinks he's the lead. Right, he thinks he is the most important character because he has a sad backstory about his dad or whatever, and, and he, he's hot. He's and the he's most athletic. handsome. He's the most powerful. He yeah, he takes yeah. care of his and, bro. Scar. Yeah, and I, I, he realizes Scar. it in season one. He starts realizing it, and definitely more in the seasons to come, which we'll discuss. But like, he is flailing. He has no identity. He needs to figure out what his purpose is when he's not the most important person in the room automatically because he's hot. And <laughs> even in the like orbit of Korra, he he can't keep up. I mean, he's a good, I think his whole arc on the show is to become a good friend, to become mm-hmm. someone who can help and figuring out how to help. Or the um, love of her life. We don't know yet. Or the love of her life. Anything <laughs> could happen. Um, no spoilers. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I feel for Mako. I also think electric bending, electricity bending and all his shit is, is cool lightning. to watch. So. Lightning, lightning bending. Lightning. 
And they also, it's, cool. it, it's funny, they didn't really do much with it. Like, it, early on, we see him lightning bend in a factory to make power and make some money, which, first of all, it's great to see people actually having to struggle to make ends meet. Like, this is a series more aware of the reality of living and how difficult that is. And I wish one thing uh, they kind of mentioned is that Korra, as they know what an avatar is, and they were expecting her and they were looking for her, she kind of grew up in privilege because she was she's very much... Uh, Little Buddha, you know, she is somebody who was raised and protected and kind of venerated in this way. And this is how she dealt with it. So there's one line where she's like, oh, yeah, I never really had to deal with money. I've always had things taken care of for me, which is both so privileged, even though she's also somebody who's isolated and probably not very socialized in some ways. It's a, it's a good balance. I would have liked to see more of that from her. I think the best part of Mako and Bullen is that it confronts the idea like, yeah, these these guys are poor. They have to work for what they're doing, even though they have powers. Life is still a struggle for them. It's not just like an adventure to an adventure. Yeah, it seems impressive to me that the show doesn't get heavy handed in that way. Mm-hmm. It seems to raise a lot of questions so that we can talk through the themes and the ideas and the, and the infrastructure of Republic City. Um, before we were talking a little bit, um, I mentioned to you guys about Akira. I watched Akira recently. Sure. And... I thought a lot about Akira watching season one, where you don't have to be told a lot of what's going on in this world. The first scene is an atom bomb going off, right? Um, and and World War Three has happened already. And this is what's left. This is what's happened after the giant war. Everyone is radicalized because there's such class disparity, uh, economic disparity, and people need answers. They need something, yeah. and, they're, and they're getting more and more violent because no one has the answers. And I, and I the, felt the, that way about the world of Republic City, too. Yeah. And we get to see it with Mako and Bolin struggling, and they're not over the edge, but so many people are. And obviously so many people are turning to Oman and the equalist message mm-hmm. to, to find a response, and they don't mind getting violent about it. Yeah. In Akira, it's a society that can't protect its kids. It's We've crumbled to such a point where the kids are kind of directionless. They're lashing out because the adults have failed them. And I do like the idea that we get a taste of that in Korra, of like, hey, when, you know, Aang and his friends were kids fighting evil and just trying to make the world a better place, that was simple. But as they grew up and the the difficulties of being an adult and managing adult problems, they kind of failed in many ways. And the show is very much a reflection of that. And then Tarlock preys on Korra yep. with that way. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, the adults in the room don't have an answer. Maybe the, the 17-year-old who is also the Avatar can save everything. Do what I tell you. I, <laughs> I see clearly. Um, I, I love the idea... Love is a weird word, maybe, for this description. <laughs> it's very apt to right now to see so many political people trying to use kids to their advantage or trying to use the immature. Mm-hmm. Because, and that's not an insult to, to teenagers. Teenagers are immature. That's what Cora is about for me. That's why I've right. never been annoyed at her character. They're, she is a teenager and she is immature and she's rude and she's crass and like she's figuring her shit out. Yeah. Um, and people take advantage of her. And I think it's fair that for her to be confused or for her mm-hmm. to be traumatized mm-hmm. and for her to be um, used in that way. It's, it's, a, it's not a fault to make a mistake. Um, and right. she makes lots of mistakes in this first season. And it's mm-hmm. like exhilarating to see mm-hmm. that depicted honestly. Um, it feels very relevant to now too. Yeah. It feels like we can see the parallels today too of like, Imagine if like Greta Thunberg was, uh, you know, was co-opted by Donald Trump or somebody or somebody like somebody with nefarious ends, but who didn't quite see how she was being used. (laughs) Please don't. Please don't. But that is in many ways like the failure of 
our governments worldwide and the failure of politicians to deal with climate change means like this one this one one girl who just wants to make a statement can and she's been very successful at it but i could also easily see how that message could be co-opted by somebody nefarious um can i ask mm -hmm. dave a question sure dave, can you convince me uh, <laughs> uh, Joanna has sat down at the park <laughs> and she put out the sign convince me can you convince me that um, pro-bending is an essential <laughs> and useful part of this season of television sure it's uh, about I think uh, the benefits of uh, progress and uh, leisure time in a <laughs> capitalist society because uh, you have a certain class of people that um, can use elements in a certain way and therefore are capable of doing a sport. Uh, they don't have to necessarily be rich, but they are a different class of people than just the normal non-bending class. <clears throat> and uh, they like to uh, make this uh, very interesting in-game sport that has rules that make sense from just watching a very right, few right. rounds of it. I understand uh, this sport more than actual sports in the yeah, real world. There, there, you there know? A lot of actual it's very sports clear. Sure. Yeah, it's a very clear sport. Um, it has also really leaned into the physicality of bending and abandoned the spiritual side entirely, as Tenzin sort of points out uh, to Korra. But then I think uh, more, more importantly, uh, it also isn't entirely bad because it manages to get uh, Korra to learn some new, newer styles of bending from Bolin, mm -hmm. like the uh, light-on-your-foot earth bending, which was a style that didn't really exist uh, before in the Avatar universe. So A we punchy some... airbending style. Yeah. A punchy <laughs> airbending style. That's not we just Tai Chi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they managed to you know, pile the uh, love triangle plot on it in this season, which isn't great. But I think... <laughs> That the fact that it's only like two or three episodes that were really focused on pro bending, uh, that it's used. Uh, I like the way it's used here for mm -hmm. sure. It made me obsessed with it. And it also convinced a, Dave to buy the video game. I did don't buy the video, buy game, the video game, kids. Yeah, we don't need to anymore. <laughs> do not, do not. Uh, well, see, the, the one I, I good thing about you. the uh, the game. What, what is the game called again? Because it's escaping my mind. I think it's just called The Legend of Korra. No, 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 not the the sport the pro bending in the show. Game? Pro bending. Is it just? It's just pro-bending. Yeah. Pro it's just yeah. pro-bending. Um, at the very least, we get Rami Malek as a cocky, you know, bad guy bender. Like, that's fun. And hearing his voice, like, he is, he's so good at being smarmy. Like, that guy. I love him so much. Go watch Mr. Robot, everybody. His wolf, his wolf bat howl. <laughs> he is very good. And also his... Why isn't there hey, footage of Rami Malek in the um, studio doing the wolf I would love that. Doing the I wolf bat howl. I would love to see that. Um, but also, hey, sports as a reflection of, you know, a civilization kind of improving um, or at least getting to a point. Like you look at like what led to sports in human society and it's, uh, it's both recreation, but it's also this idea of things being stable enough for people to release themselves through games and kind of... I don't know, enjoy play in a different way. I kind of like seeing the society grow like that, even though I'm not a huge sports but fan. But sports are also life. a sign of the downfall of society because they're yeah. bad and um, contribute nothing. Sure. I don't know. That's, there were sports that's, in Avatar The Last Airbender and nobody was yeah. that worried that's about not it. My, yeah, it's, it's not the downfall. It's how it's used. My bad. <laughs> the idea of like a focal point, though, like even Amon knows that that's if you want to make a splash – 
yep. in the greater Republic City attack the pro-bending arena. So I like it as like a uh, an avatar, if you will, for the non-spirituality. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Mind blown. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Pro-bending is a true avatar. of the larger... <laughs> I don't know if it's all that, uh, but I do, I do enjoy it. And then it also got us um, one of the old Republic City uh, dispatch observations we made was we were like, hey, every bit of bending is getting some sort of like plus right, except right. for earth bending and air bending. And we were like, you know, is that lighter footed earth bending the, the air the earth bending plus? And then like there wasn't any obvious air bending plus because there isn't a lot of air bending in the season at all. I'm very happy having seen the whole series that we were right about that point. Oh yeah. We, I can't remember we get... I mean don't tell me, but I can't remember mm. what the air bending plus is. There's, Ooh, there's a whole season about it. Think of uh, think of Dragon Ball Z. Like we we go places. Kamei. Yeah. Get any of your references? You know that. <laughs> Joanna, one of the most popular things in the world. Ready for a Dragon Ball Z podcast, everybody. <laughs> oh my God! Can we just yeah. talk about Goku and Vegeta and for a hundred <laughs> billion episodes? <laughs> it's also good. Um, oh, you're talking about yeah, the Emmy Russell movie, right? That's mm. right. Mm. Dragon Ball Evolution, a classic film. Uh, oh, bending. Here's my galaxy brain pro bending thought before we end this topic. Um, they, you know, sports have this notorious habit of like finding young talent who they can um, lock into contracts and not pay very much, but like <laughs> people need the money. And now I'm thinking about pro bending as this kind of, well, it's not even a metaphor. It's what's happening in sports in the real world, where it's like, hey, Makon Bolin, fight for your life in the arena, because you need They're money. not fighting for their lives, but it was a way for them to earn money. Yeah, but you know that those hits the, the head are going to last. Day. That's going to... that's gonna you, concussions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to fall into that tank over and over and over again. That's not good for your health. <laughs> not all sports are bad, though many can be. How about that? Tennis seems good. Tennis seems uh, good. No, that <laughs> elbow thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> You will ruin your elbows. How about badminton? Bocce ball. How about <laughs> bocce ball? Pickleball? That's the thing. So isn't the... Um, no, no, no. Wait. The the, the, the the other team wins the pro bending championship. Yes. The by the cheating. By cheating. So does Farah... Farah. <laughs> does Cora win... In anything in this episode, was that a? Because she gets her, he gets her avatar state back, but just in terms of a character that like keeps getting back up, but actually doesn't like have a win. It's hard for me to pinpoint her having a win at any. Are point. you saying she's Indiana Jones in and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and she actually didn't accomplish anything I in the end? Her win beyond getting herself back up is restoring Lynn's. Yes, Lynn's bending. Yeah, I think that's her yeah. big win. That's right. a win. I There's mean, she ultimately does she, defeat Amon. I mean, she gets, she gets I mean, okay, the guy. She doesn't know she defeats Amon. Yeah. No, Amon Ever. is defeated by his own brother, uh, assassination of Jesse James style. As far as she knows, I kind of she love. blasts him out a That's window. Right. He yeah. water bends away to live a life. So everyone just is city. like, okay, see Amon. I guess we'll let you go. We're not going to trail you or anything. We're not going to figure well, it out. Well, they have other that. problems, Matt, which we'll <laughs> talk about in some future podcast. That's true. That's true. Um, what, what did you make of Amon as a villain? We kind of touched on the, on the politics, but looking back, does that seem... I mean, I remember watching it then mm-hmm. and thinking this is really creepy. This is such a, like, Shades of Grey I love villain. the idea of him. I love the, bat, the Batman of Amon. When he was an ideal yeah. of 
a non-bender who could take people's bending away and just wanted everything to be equal. Absolutely. <laughs> Team Amon all the way. Team Amon. Uh, then it turns <laughs> wait, out... Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Let me pause on that for one second because a lot of people will agree with you. It, when Amon could take bending away, you're mm-hmm. still Team Amon. Yeah, I think so. Up until he targets the airbending children. <laughs> because yeah. at that point, he's taking away pro-bending people. He's taking Lynn? away police. Police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's taking away gangsters bending. I could, I could still reasonably be on Amon's side at that point. Yeah, except it's because a thing it's like you're... Yeah, you're literally... It's almost like killing somebody, right? It is it's yes. something you can't it's, give it's back. When like, he bring, it's, it's when is, he brings the airbender kids up on stage, and I'm like, oh, no, yeah. not kids. But it's also like... It's not like we could have seen this problem coming, you know, yeah. from far, far away. My thing about Amon is that I just love that he's voiced by Steve Bloom, uh, or is it Steve Blum? But I love him so much. Spike Spiegel for the win forever. So I love seeing like voice actors. I love just coming mm. back. So once once he gets his first uh, introduction, I think at the end of the second episode, is it? Uh, Spike Spiegel hear, from Cowboy Bebop. It yeah. Be once you hear that voice, it's like, oh, I am in. I'm in with whatever Amon is doing because Steve Blum, <laughs> I love him so much. Wow, this is why people voted for Trump, too. He was on The Apprentice. I love that guy. Love that, that guy. Listen to that voice. He's so charismatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's going to um, take away the swamp spending. <laughs> but swamp ending is so fun. <laughs> That's true. Swamp ending is so fun. Um, wow. Uh, Dave's like, go ahead, take Lynn's bending. That's. I know. I'm like, I don't want to sound like a on, an, Ang, an Ang neolib here, um, but <laughs> I feel like Damn you know, the viciousness of Amon's uh, of choices, his, I mean, the revolution will what get may, dirty. What, what allows that, him be a to clash. be the arbiter of like who deserves better? Yes. And who right. Yes. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, that's no, it. that seems really, that's, that's where it's like the idea of a man in a mask doing this, if he mm-hmm. wasn't unmasked. Uh, in that last confrontation with the Avatar, then she would have had to deal with an Amon coming back. Mm-hmm, it wouldn't mm-hmm. have been that one because he would have blown up in a speedboat. <laughs> but the the if they didn't discredit the idea, the mask, the equalist movement, uh, like had enough good points. I think that she would have had to deal with it later. Oh, for it sure. It just got sure. completely destroyed because he was a waterbender, <laughs> bloodbender, and uh, <laughs> murdered his lieutenant, Lance Hegnerson. Just Love from him believing. So much. Love him so much. I, I'm I think Lance the... Hendrickson. That's the, that's who I am. You are. You have my, the facial my hair. I feel like you yes. too. Yeah. You uh, haven't told me he was Lance Hendrickson. Are you both Lance Hendrickson? We are all Lance Hendrickson. Want, we I think want we all to want to be Lance Hendrickson. Yeah. Listen, that's know. just how I lived through my life, okay? But <laughs> I, I, I think one of the best things about the season is it does present this idea of turning somebody turning somebody into an avatar turning somebody into like a b- single being that you will worship and believe no matter what they do is dangerous no matter if it's ang no matter if it's aman no matter how many good points they have it's one person cannot carve a society so we should ban you know monuments. should ban yeah. monuments mm. yeah ban um, monuments that's the big can takeaway. i uh, bring up like a an allusion to the original series that i don't like and i feel like the creators mm. understand that it doesn't work because they don't Spoiler alert, they won't lean too heavily on it in the future. So they bring Dante Bosco back to voice uh, Zuko's son, Iroh. Iroh. Yeah. I l- Pure fan service, I yeah. I love Dante Bosco. I'm, like a big, I'm a big Dante Bosco fan, but like it's distracting <laughs> to have him in there. It's a little with, disembodied with like for some Zuko's reason. Voice. It doesn't, his voice doesn't seem to match whatever the personality is of this kid who's not Zuko. 
Yeah. And, he comes out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, and then, like, there's that moment where he's like, thanks for having my back, Aang. And I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need any of this. I'm glad Dante <laughs> Bosco's employed, but I would almost rather he was, like, a shoe shoe <laughs> merchant or something like that he's rather like the, than, like, trying to put him in this role. He's the only kind of main original cast member who comes back, I right? that's right. Cause yeah, because Sokka gets a different Aang voice. Not, yeah, no one yeah. is the same. My, they, all, they all get different voices, my yeah. My question is, Dante Bosco has a, like, really close relationship with the creators. They said that, like, back <laughs> when they were still going to do the live-action uh, Netflix series, uh, Brian posted on his Instagram, he's like, we're talking to Dante, we're definitely going to find something for him <laughs> to do. No, it's <laughs> not going to be Zuko, but it'll be... Something. Listen, they... They grew up watching Hook, like the rest of us, <laughs> and right. I just want good things for Dante Bosco. Come on. Right. And I hope, I do hope that is something uh, younger viewers of Avatar and Korra go back and discover Hook, because it's so much fun. I also could feel so much of the energy of Air Last Airbender is in Hook, no matter how much people like revile that movie. That movie. Uh, love it so much. One thing I also want to point out, too, is not just the idea of you know, one person, one person being the host of all your political ideas being bad. This series was so smart about symbolism, like Amon's rallies, Amon's imagery mm. everywhere, to the point where they put the Amon mask on Aang in the finale. And we're like, oh, this this is what they're doing. It's yeah, all about symbolism. That. It's amazing. It's so great. And also, who manufactured that? Is that supposed to be like Guy Fox level? Am I, is that what my yes, takeaway is? Yes, yeah, this is all sure. post-Occupy Wall Street. So mm-hmm. I would imagine that's where they're getting... Wow. Kettling and masked uprising. But you know what's amazing? Yeah, this is coming after uh, Occupy Wall Street and and a positive, progressive protest. And now Amon's rallies look like (laughs) Trump rallies, right? And Amon's way of going about... What's fascinating watching it now is, yes, we believe in equalist... Progressive people would believe in the kind of equalist message of, hey, let's put everyone... Benders and non-benders alike. And yet he's calling benders like elitists. And he's echoing this kind of fascist rhetoric that has been become synonymous with, with Trump. And uh, I talked about this yeah. a little bit with you guys before, but like I see Amon and, and Tarlock as kind of two sides of a, of a Trumpian coin now. Not even Trumpian, just like generally a kind of fascist way of mm-hmm. thinking, especially how Tarlock manipulates Korra and then uses the police to his benefit. My God, like this, one of the scariest scenes um, in, in this first season is when Tarlock and Korra and the special unit like bust down the door and are getting like, are they, I guess they're just regular benders, but they're throwing br- bricks at they're them e- and like e- icing their heads. Equalists in training. So they're learning yeah. how to be chi blockers. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a bad, bad, bad look, obviously. Uh, Korra is a cop. I'm curious how that goes over. Uh, she doesn't stay a cop for too long, but um, <laughs> the the two these two villains, she makes a lot of mistakes of a coin, this first season. Yeah, you understand why people want to get behind them. They, their messages mm-hmm, seem mm-hmm. really persuasive in different ways, and yeah. that is the scariest thing that seems to have manifested itself after. Korra came hey, out. Hey, no, that's how, history. Did, how did they know is, this was going to happen? It's history because these things happen again and again. I think that's what is so great about this show and also Last Airbender is that, you know, the creators are so, they're at least well-versed in the way, in political theory and the way societies kind of work and the problems we've had in the past and seeing that all be explored. It's, it wouldn't be out of place to assume things would get really bad as they were making the show because post-Occupy Wall Street, uh, even though we were in the middle of the Obama era, like, Things were bad. There, there were things rumbling on the fringes, like 
the, this will turn the show into a complete different different thing. But we saw the rise of uh, the rise of white supremacy during the Obama era. That was a thing, kind of leading up to what's happening right now. But uh, if I go on further, we'll probably lose well, listeners. So yeah. Yeah. okay, let me, yeah. let me let me throw it off that and say, speaking of white supremacy and and pro- <laughs> ways in which we progress. No, um, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about like the voice cast of the show, who we who we love and mm. we think are incredibly talented. Um, but as is the case with Avatar, uh, The Last Airbender, uh, largely uh, white, almost entirely white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are non-white appearing characters, even in, though it's a fantasy world. And so, like, our question, you know, we, it, that's just something we have to reckon with in our fandom of this show, which is, I think, a progressive show with progressive ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Their diversity hire next season will be Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's Just true prepping you guys that's not a that's not a spoiler it's a reality i will say like as somebody who i i've thought deeply about representation and kind of what it means because i grew up i grew up watching all these shows where i never really see characters like me also rare to hear voice actors who look like me or sound like me or my family or something so as much as I love the series, making it today, um, yeah, we probably wouldn't want Janet Varney as the voice of Cora, you know, and well, that's I mean, just I something we'd have to reckon with. Yeah, Mike and Brian come into question too, mm-hmm. and they were. I mean, yep. people talked about this when it happened. Like, are they, especially after the live action movie? I think is the whole thing kind of appropriating <laughs> different cultures for Western audiences and like making fake anime or something. And mm-hmm. I do think Mike and Brian didn't walk into this project lightly. Um, mm-hmm. They just from following them over the years and listening to them talk about things, they have a deep understanding of, of Eastern mythology and art and culture. And, and they're bringing a lot of authenticity to it, but they're also not bringing true authenticity. Right. To right. It. Voice and, actors, and they, and other they writers, writers of color yeah. too. Like all that is really important. And now we're starting to see the reckoning, Hey, of that happening, uh, there was what the the problem with the poo, the movie from you know a couple of years ago, which I think really discussed why that's a problem. Because as much as hey, I grew up watching a poo, he was the only Indian-looking character in any animated show, but he's also like you know this character that was there were so many stereotypes. He represented so many stereotypes. He was voiced by a white dude who voiced a lot of other characters on that show. Like they were just the representation of it really stunk. Um, and now we're seeing shows like, um, was it Central Park? The new one from Lauren Bouchard is recasting people because, uh, yeah, maybe Kristen Bell shouldn't be playing, you know, a half white, half black character, you know, set in New York. It doesn't really work. Or Yeah, yeah. it's going to be interesting mm-hmm. to see how the cartoon and voice acting community meets this. I was reading a good thing uh, from... I believe Rob Paulson, who voiced one of the Animaniacs and one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and everything, if you were our age uh, of your your youth, uh, talking about how, you know, he's had discussions with people that things are finally turning in the direction where the voice actors feel like they have a voice to say, you know, thank you so much for considering me, but I don't think this part should be mine. And they don't necessarily feel like they're talking themselves out of a job anymore. It's more of the responsible thing to do. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I like, the way I feel about it is I'm 100% behind these representations. But when we start looking back to see if things are cancelable, something like Big Mouth or Central Park that's right, on, right. that's changeable. 
I don't. It's hard for me to hold Cora more responsible, um, uh, just because we are now. Uh, only because I feel like, uh, as Joanna brought up or Patches brought up, like that we'd already been through race bending with the live action movie. So mm-hmm. this was brought up for Cora, and they chose to you know make the decisions uh, that they did. But it's like I've been trying to go back to things like you mm-hmm. know, King of the Hill where Khan is Toby Man. Huss. And yeah. Toby Huss is so good at being Khan. And Toby Huss that. is so good in general, but yeah. <laughs> but it's it's real problematic now, and it's a performance that is difficult depending on what the subject matter is. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the nice thing, I think, about at least this book of Korra is because Republic City is a non-spiritual city, they get away with generalizing a lot more of the design, uh, which I think in some future books has come under fire after the series has aired for turning something that was uh, Eastern-centric into something that's more Eurocentric, as we see how the rest of the world around Republic mm-hmm. City evolved. But that could be something we discuss for future yeah. episodes of Republic City Dispatch. <laughs> I, I really like that point about, you know, we're, I don't think in discussions like this we're, we're trying to, like, cancel Korra yeah. or something. Um, and, and so much of the discussion can can trend towards that way these days. We, we um, can say it's disappointing. Like, listen, like, guys, can, I sat down yes. next to M. Night Shyamalan, and I asked him point blank about the race bending. Like, that was one of my first interviews when I moved to New York. And his response was incredibly disappointing. And, by the way, here's a guy, like, the only... The only major successful Indian American director we yeah. kind of have had, and I grew up also really standing for him and loving like even his like messier films. Like I will, I'll go to bat for that guy when he is good. I think he's one of the greatest directors we have. Yeah. And then his, yeah, I'm a yeah. science fan. And his his yeah, <laughs> science, I I will go to bat for science. I'll go to bat for the village. Oh, Come swing on. away if you will. will yeah, yeah. Swing, I'll away. swing away. <laughs> yes. I will swing away. Go to bat. Swing away. Oh, uh-huh. man. That yeah, but his reasoning for what they did for the casting in the movie was basically, like, animation doesn't work this way. Like, people were assigning races to the characters when clearly Katara and Sokka and everybody were, you know, modeled on existing races and cultures that exist right now. He he was saying, like, oh, animation, it doesn't really matter in animation. Anybody can be any color. Ugh. And that was... My, it wasn't necessarily his decision, but no, I was about to say Disney. poor M Knight for like getting the chance to step up and get to make a sure, hundred million sure. dollar blockbuster he, that he probably was he not was also, in much control of. He was also the guy who's like, I want this little white boy who's very good at martial arts to be Ang. You know, that was his choice, and a lot of it was kind of based around that too. So my hey, thank you for helping you, him. By Emma. the yeah. way, my main yeah. issue with the uh, the little boy playing Ang, who seems uh, is perfectly lovely, I'm sure. Good martial artist. Yeah. Not even <laughs> like the race thing though. That's bad. It's that he's a terrible actor. He's so bad. Why can't you can get doubles to do the martial so bad. arts? He did get to do a second movie. He he was in Cowboys and Aliens okay. with Harrison. Oh God! Another movie we remember, right? Yeah. That was yes, a there were that horses. Yeah. Um, James I did, did want to kind of shout out this article that I was reading on Medium the other day called uh, The Inescapable Whiteness of Avatar, The Legend of Korra. It was a piece by Jeanette Ng. Uh, I thought that she made some really good points just about like when you have white people orchestrating the show, does it become like how do the politics work and how right. do the perspective work is like is it ultimately more conservative than it would be if um people who were 
like in these positions and struggling with with in this class system that we create in America and this economic disparity would it would it change and it would I think um, and again I'm not looking to like kind of cancel core or something for mm-hmm. for not being up to the times but this is why I wanted to have this conversation right, about right. season one and, and beyond because it's fascinating to look back at this show and what I thought was like kind of pushing the envelope seven mm-hmm. or eight years ago now is kind of like this is this was a milestone that w- we've progressed so much from For too sure. like Cora is trying to uh, maintain the status quo in a way uh, or I think her whole arc over the show is getting away from the status quo mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if you all, would all agree with that and she and if we if we want to talk about takeaway like what does Cora learn at the end of this season it's that um, you know change is good uh, extreme change through violence is, is bad. I think there's like, there's different, I don't know. What, what do you think the lesson is at the end of this? It's, uh, do you think, is it about status quo? It's it is complicated. Sometimes you got to punch. <laughs> Sometimes, Sometimes yeah. you do have to punch. Yeah. It's, I think you have to put up a fight without restore, resorting to the extremes of the villains that we've seen. I think mm-hmm. um, you have to punch hard sometimes, but, you know, <laughs> this is what we were just talking about with Amon. Like, when does Amon go too far? He still has to put up the fight, but he went too far. But it's about raising your voice without succumbing yeah. to the urge to do without, you know, like, letting the thrill of the fight interfere. I think Korra also gets swept up in being the Avatar and being the hero and getting to fight. You mm-hmm. you have to remember that you're fighting for a purpose and not just getting to scream and shout and punch and uh, you can't just intimidate and oppress people uh, if you're trying to end oppression and intimidation in culture, I right? Guess it, it depends on. Um, uh, yeah, you just need to figure out where your line is, and apparently Dave's is like, do whatever you want until you get to the kids. Um. <laughs> yeah, I'm locking my doors if Dave is in town. Wow, I'm worried. Why you have kids? <laughs> That's true. I'll use them as a shield. That's right. I have a kid now. This so much has changed. So much has changed. I have a little Cora. The Ventura has a kid now. Yeah. We were both like baby Cora. Toddler Cora is the cutest thing. Why yeah. is the whole show about toddler Cora? Toddler Cora. Listen, I wanted more of uh, I'm the Avatar. Deal with it because that is entirely Sophia's attitude now so and real. forever. But, like, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that costume. It's good that she can't shoot Halloween. fire out of her hands or something. Her little, I don't know yet. Do. Like, Cora not to firm. Is like poking out of <laughs> yes. the Yes. Oh, it's Very so realistic. Uh, Cora, it's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah I it's mean, good. I guess it's back ish. <laughs> it is back. It's back in the conversation. I mean, are there any small takeaways to, as we wrap up on on season one? We we dug into so much here. I'm really glad well, we did this. Well, one thing we didn't really things. talk about is the proposed Netflix live action thing, which oh, uh, Brian and Mike just Gosh, stepped away from tea. last week and kind of just laid out like this is. It's not going to be their vision for the show. There was a report that Netflix was apparently balking at the budget, okay, which, okay, I don't okay. know, kind of okay, makes sense. Let's, yeah, let's, I don't know. Let's, a very, yeah. a report from a... Not a good uh, report. Not a good report. Passive voice. There was a report. Yeah. An article on a website I've never heard of, fandomwire.com. Never heard of. Never heard of it. Joanna is doing the Facebook fact I'm check I'm so mad. Yes. It was just being like... This is it's not a, a bad report. report. Yeah. And it was like exclusive insider detail. And I'm like, you don't get to say like you talk to sort of unnamed sources <laughs> unless you're like the New York Times or like some other well, outlet that I've heard of. before, Or, or at least have proven that you have done yeah. this before. Because I think small sites can break Absolutely. stories all the time. Uh, but the, the points they raised were basically everything we would kind of expect. Like it's just like guesstimating Netflix thinking the budget is too high. Netflix wanting to sex things up. Uh, I, those are, you could just guess and you'd probably be I right. Who knows? 
just like, okay, and I, I yeah. you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but like my impression of Netflix as, um, you know, an entity in the past is that they don't give these kinds of notes. That's what we've heard from creators time and time again, that they sure. don't get tight with the purse strings, that they don't give notes about like, this needs to be sexier. This needs to be dark. They're incredibly hands off. And so, um, do you guys want to mention, which is basically, I just want to say to that point, it seems like it's worked against the quality of Netflix shows too. Like sure. they do let people go overboard. Like that is the problem with Netflix. I Sometimes have, I have people I know who have produced Netflix shows who have told me like, we wish they'd get us notes right. or like give us, so help me, like, direct me. Like, if, yeah. if this were another studio, I would say, and I'm not even a Netflix right. defender. Like, I have a lot mm -hmm. of issues with Netflix. I have a lot of issues with their content. But the one thing they're known for is being incredibly hands-off with creatives. And so the fact that, like, all this stuff that, that is in this report, I'm like, it's logical. And I would believe sure. it if it were, like, I don't know, Warner Media or something like that. That's what <laughs> I've been hearing about Warner Media. But I've never once heard that about Netflix. And so that's why it seems, like, a little specious. Like, I... I'm sure there was some breakdown of something. Like, here's my guess. And this is, uh, once again, unsubstantiated, total guess. I would guess yeah. what Netflix really wanted because they've seen how popular the animated Avatar has been on rewatches. Like, let's just do that exactly again. And Brian mm -hmm, yeah. and Mike, as Patches has said before, and I'm sure all of you have said before, are never interested in let's do that thing again. As Cora is like a good representation of that. So my guess would be more along the line. And I don't, I don't, I mean, Dave disagrees with me, but I don't mm -hmm. think Netflix would be like, put more white people in this. I don't think that they, <laughs> Dave, I don't I like mean, not based video. on their like. video with you on these podcasts. Like, <laughs> me? No, Dave. No, no, me. No, with Dave. Oh. There's a lot oh, of yeah. beard stroking Just and so head people, shaking. Yeah, people know yeah. that Dave has a goatee that he strokes <laughs> in a most sinister fashion. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, of all the things... Budget seems unlikely that they bought yeah. the budget because, like Joanna was saying, Netflix doesn't have an interest in that. Uh, casting more white, definitely feel like that would be something that Netflix would do, um, would bring up. I don't think they'd hold the line, which is where this report, like, citing it as being, like, the thing when, um, like... But their uh, whole, like, social strategy and their whole identity, brand identity right now is, like, being diversity. the wokest studio... Yeah. Yeah, like, got, like I a don't strong understand. Lead, like a strong left lead account, like Twitter account. You know what I mean? Like right, they would be destroyed uh, for for I mean, ra that's, race bending in the way that that like, would be defined. Yeah. So that's like a corporate dictum downward. But then the other thing is, they were not the only producers on this right. project, and those yeah. producers are not Netflix in this case. They're just other producers who are still on the project. And if anything came from them, it could be portrayed as like coming from Netflix, but really. It's just a development producer somewhere who's like, so no black people in the, uh, no white people in the in the cast, like why why you know why can't we just because I think what this right, report right. said is, uh, Netflix wanted to open auditions to include descriptions for any race, and apparently that would have opened things up to white I people, which I they didn't want to like, do. I don't believe Netflix at least would do that because like, like mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. Hamilton casting call was like non-white, non-white, non-white. Also, you know I mean? Mike and Brian's yeah. statement when they signed yeah. on was specifically commenting on the race bending of yeah. the Shyamalan film. Yep. We, won't, we wouldn't let the, like, that's discussed no, before like, <laughs> that statement is made. Is Netflix, like, is Netflix potentially, quote-unquote, evil in the way that all corporations are evil, evil enough to do something like this? Maybe. 
But are they stupid enough? I don't think they are. And that's my sticking point. <laughs> no. Like, I, I, I think the stupid enough in what... You know what I mean? Stupid enough in what case? Like, because what they, what they just managed to do is buy the rights to something and then annoy the creators enough the creators walked away. And here they are holding the rights to something. So it's like, even if it's a, they make it and it sucks to Netflix... Right. They but what, what was always weird about this is that they were going to remake Avatar The Last Night. Right. Yes. That yeah. was strange in the beginning they when they signed on. Appa and you're like, what? Right, we're, we're we just going to do it again? Yeah. There's no way we're going to do it again. And But we talked a little bit before the podcast about the producer of this show is Dan Lin, this guy who has remade Death Note. He makes the Lego movies. He makes the Godzilla movies. He drove Kerry Fukunaga off the It movie, uh, which was directed <laughs> by someone else, um, Andy Muschietti. Uh, like, this... This guy just makes four quadrant big blockbuster properties. And if he is going to come in and do the live action version of this the right way, they're going to want the exact same thing that they got last time. And there's no way it was going to be the exact same. Th- How could it actually be? Right. Like, and- this guy's simultaneously developing the live action Lilo and Stitch if we want to dislike no! him. No! Ohana means stay away from Lilo and Stitch. Um, no, I, uh, the other rumor, and I don't think it's even in this Fandom Wire quote-unquote report. I'm so mad about that article. But, like, um, is this idea that, like, Netflix, quote-unquote, or whoever wanted it to be, like, older, edgier, sexier, like, um, that they wanted, like, the Game of Thrones of the Avatarverse. And I'm like, there's sure. room for that, but it would have to be, like, like again, give me thing. the Kyoshi, like, give me the Kyoshi <laughs> season. This is what Korra did. Right. This is what, like, Korra is, hey, we can't actually play in the Airbender sandbox right. to do this new right. show. We're going to do this. We're, it's gonna, we're jumping 70 years right. in the future. Um, and I can imagine, like, it'd be hard to make this show with kids. Right? Yeah. Like, you don't want to make a live action anything with kids, especially if it's a TV show where they end up growing up. Like, Stranger Things is the anomaly well, almost like even, because they really pumped even that out. Watching Avatar with, like, I don't think I remember watching Avatar the first time and being, like, constantly reminding myself how old the kids are. Like, Toph and Aang seem like kids, but Katara and Sokka and Zuko all, and Suki, like, all seem older. But then, like, you know, someone would constantly be remind me, like, Katara's. 14 or whatever you know what right. I mean and you're like mm. still a medieval setting so <laughs> and that that's, first that's pretty was, old <laughs> that first show takes place over a year less than, less a, than year, a year right yeah, like months. I mean there's a ticking clock that they have to get to the end point before the sun and fight the guy and how do you do that show with kids oh and it takes five seasons right like you're they're gonna grow up too much um so you can't do the same thing so what do you do and that's where I imagine the conflict yeah. came from. Mike and Brian having one version of that and Netflix and Dan Lin being like, no, remember everyone loves this. Let's give it to them again. This is what the people want. Yeah. It would be kind of cool, by the way, if they did the whole series in like one season or something. Right? Just get that story out of the kept, way. And then just kept going. Then kept going and give us like more. I would, I that, would, um, that is the cool. The gang like a post Ozai adventure, I would love that. Like, yeah. I mean, they and they've already comic. and you know yeah. Mike and Brian are, are informed the comic stories. More they code probably face would want to. Woo 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 woo. <laughs> that would be really cool. 
I bet. I mean, I guess we're not getting that. So the sad part of the, uh, this conversation is we're not Whatever getting it is, Mike and Brian's care. Avatar yeah. show. It's, it's until, we, until this pilot comes into existence, we don't know what we're going to get for this. So if you're watching Korra on your Netflix account, if you're tweeting about Korra and Netflix sees it, maybe these guys have a chance to come back and save something. Like, I don't think we've seen the end of it yet. There's some point in Korra coming to Netflix and the creators who left the project this spring deciding now was the time to tell the fandom they weren't on the new live action show. Maybe there's time to yell at the monolith, yell at yeah. corporations. This happened with David Lynch. Let's let it, let it be known. David Lynch Powerful. was let go from Twin Peaks and they said, we're still going to do it for some reason. And then people yelled and David Lynch made Twin Peaks and it was insane. So um, <laughs> we could still get this if we yell loud enough. Um, and I, I actually think that this uh, conflict has made me more interested in the show. I will die unhappy <laughs> if I don't know why they left the show. Um, I'll just mm. put it out there. Having someone who's lived through lock and key, <laughs> sometimes you don't want to know. That's true. No. That's <laughs> true. Um, well, Check that was on a final note on Korra, but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> final, hey. final thoughts around the horn very quickly. Final thoughts on Korra season one, which I've seen people say is skippable, is kind of like a slow ascent into this show, finding its voice, which I love so much. It's like the animation. It's like Satoshi Kon. I don't know. It's so beautiful so to me. And the music is so good. Um, I love this first short. season. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear. This yes. Is short <laughs> season. I never, I like... Oh, I can't think of a single show where I'm like, you could go ahead and skip the first season. Uh, not even Although Buffy, I will say, Buffy, which is so... Yeah, not intimate. even Buffy. Yeah. I never... 22-minute episodes of animated shows in the year 2020 feels long to me like, because well, everything is so 12, micro now. It's 12 episodes now, too, so it's like, what, three episodes per hour, basically? Like, you'll get through it's that pretty so quickly. Fun. I just watched Infinity Train on HBO Max, and it's like 11-minute episodes. <laughs> oh, are you living in a, living in a uh, movie world? And you just, quick bites only? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm only about quick, quick bites. Bite. Bring the next Avatar show quick, to the Quick, quick Bite, bite universe. Quick Bite, Cora, got it. Um, oh, my yeah. God. Mm. No, it's, it's short... And it's got plenty going for it that's not pro-bending. And, uh, you know, and Pabu's <laughs> there. So why, I mean, I know Pabu, Pabu's not going anywhere. But, like, why would you deprive yourself of a single second of Pabu's great time is my question. You need all the Pabu to make the world better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like Book One Air. It introduced us to a new uh, world for the Avatar and posed a lot of questions like what happened outside Republic City and what's happening with the spirit world mm -hmm. that I hope we get to pretty soon. Yeah, no, I love it. I think it's a fantastic season, especially if you're coming right off of Last Airbender. It's probably a shock. I can understand why people were shocked, but I love it as somebody who loves anime in general and animation and animated storytelling. Like it is an evolution in many ways over Last Airbender, which, hey, I love that show, but this one does certain things better that I really appreciate. And it's so scary now when they take the bending away and the faces they make. Mm. Oh, it's terrible. Chills. It's a scary I show. I forgot that Lynn lost her bending. And like, I, I, oh, I, I did remember too. Yeah. enough about later seasons that like, I was like, I know this isn't permanent, but I'm really yeah. upset. Oh man, she is, she's MVP. Right. MVP of the season. Lynn Beifong, just like Toph, That's forever. What, oh, All the Beifongs. What's, what's Tenzin's, uh, is Milo, right? Is his son's name, right? And Milo, he's like, that yeah. lady's Julie my Milo. hero. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, remember when we spent a lot of time talking about that final shot of Korra and everyone mm. thought that she was going to jump off a cliff? Uh, hey, ooh. I still feel that. I still I feel did that. too. I was thinking yeah, of a lot. Now. It was all rushing back to me. And I'm like, actually, 
maybe she is thinking about that I do, more. I do feel like if this, if they had more room to breathe and maybe if, because I feel like they, who knows if they were going to be able to do more, right? This season was a contained thing, but if they didn't have the pressure of Nickelodeon, like re-upping them for the next season, I would have loved to see a whole episode of Korra sitting by that cliff and just like really drinking that in, you know? Mm. Yeah. The, like just a mind like, Ember Island place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Talk to every single um, avatar. Mm-hmm. All, all of them. Just a chat. Just all give of them. them a, call Who's them that up. Air Temple lady? Um, Who's the Airbender lady? Who's before Kyoshi? I will never remember any oh of the my. other uh, like Roku avatars. Kiyoshi. I'm very bad. Yada, oh, yada, 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 <laughs> and then I remember the first one. That's it. It's like remembering the digits after pi. Point one four. I don't care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they look cool. No one when you stack and put this. them next to each other. Um, yeah, that final shot. Everything about the final. My heart was swelling watching this. It's so good. And the tears mm-hmm. and the music and Ang again. When you see his feet and you're like, it's tens in. Oh no, it's Ang. <laughs> um, yeah, this season's awesome. You know what? We should talk about all four yeah. seasons. Of, Maybe we uh, will. Maybe the we will. Legend of Korra. Yeah. I think we should what do that. Might we do in addition to talking about all four seasons of Korra? I don't know. Could we call anyone and talk to them? <laughs> I hope Let's we see can. Was on our speed we'll dial. No yeah. promises like, why, are why being made. Why don't we just say it? Because we already did it, so it's not a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, spoiler. Oh, Joanna. The thing we were not able to do the first round. We, yes. We the feed because we're talking to Janet Varney, Cora herself. We talked to Cora. Cora. It's going to sound like Cora's on the phone. Cora yeah. on a slightly bad connection. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, she's using 1920s Her connection phones. to the spirit yes. world, not <laughs> yes. so strong. Calling That's in right. from yeah. the spirit world. Janet Varney's not dead. She didn't call from the spirit world. It's fine. All right. It's going to be fun. Well, we're going to do a few more things with all the uh, all the people on this call and beyond. Um, we're really excited. I'm glad Legend of Korra is finding more people to watch it. I hope, um, I don't know if we'll ever get another Avatar series. So savor that, <laughs> savor this season. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for a competing Avatar series from Brian and Mike. Like just a completely off the wall thing in the universe. Imagine that. Why wouldn't Nickelodeon, I mean, it's so popular on Netflix. Why are they not throwing mountains of money at these guys? Who uh, knows? Hmm. Who knows? The point Lots is, yeah. uh, Legend of Korra, we can attest, is rewatchable. Um, and we are rewatching it and doing some podcasts about it. Uh, so that's it for now. Why don't we tell people where they can find us when we're not podcasting about Korra, in case they didn't know for the last like seven years, and they should probably follow <laughs> us and, and listen and read our work. Uh, Dave, what about you? Hey, you can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can find me on the Fighting in the War Room podcast. You can find me on the Storm of Lost Rewatch podcast by searching this same podcast device you are listening to this podcast on for those two shows. <laughs> Joanna? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Storm of Lost Rewatch podcast. You can also, uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, patreon.com slash Storm of Spoilers, you can hear a lot of bonus stuff we do. Like I just started talking about Lovecraft Country with Dave Chen over Ooh. there or uh, I do a show called Feels Like the First Time with Buffering host Kristen Russo where we watch we just watched the Terminator franchise so there's lots of fun stuff even if you're not watching Lost you can hang out with us over there we're watching Black Sails every day I mean there's just a lot of stuff going on over there yeah. <laughs> whoa should wow. I watch Black Sails? Yeah. <laughs> I saw Dave tweet about Black Sails. Yeah. Join the join the it's Patreon. Good. Give us Dave money. has been cosplaying as a Black Sails character for like the last six years. So I had to trim my mustache yesterday because Java said it was getting too piratey. So. Yeah. I know you're not able to like twirl it the way that you usually do. Yeah. This is what you get for watching Black Sails. Uh, Devendra, what about you? 
Oh, I am at Devendra on Twitter. I podcast about movies and TV at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. And I also podcast about tech and write about tech for Engadget. So check me out on the Engadget show and at Engadget.com. And I'm Matt Patches over at Polygon.com. We've run some good Quora coverage. I would read. You guys get uh, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We wrote. A, we ran a big thing about Quora being um, more important. I put that word in quotes, but uh, maybe consequential is the less headliney word uh, than than Ang. Yeah. Uh, I saw that headline fly, flying yeah. by my Twitter, and I was like, oh god. Matt here we is go. Start a fire over here. So <laughs> rip okay. it open. Let's go. Um, so yeah, Polygon.com. We're covering. It's not just a game site anymore. That's what I say under my breath at every meeting. And um, I'm also podcasting with Dave at Fighting in the War Room, FightingWarRoom.com. Uh, and that's it. That's the first of a few episodes we're doing on the Republic City Dispatch podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back the next time we put a podcast up. I don't know what it is. Bye. <laughs> yep, yep.